and uh, we'll get there in a moment. Morris was an elderly gentleman, probably in his 90s. He'd been a widow for a while, and he went to the doctor for his annual checkup, and the doctor gave him some very specific instructions. And the next day, the doctor's out, and he sees Morris in a restaurant. And Morris is in this restaurant with a 25-year-old, drop-dead gorgeous model. And uh, the doctor comes up to him and says, Morris, what are you doing? And Morris says, I'm just following your advice, Doc. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. <laughs> the doctor said, no, Morris, you misunderstood. What I said was, you have a heart murmur and you need to be careful. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Hospital regulations require a wheelchair for patients being discharged. However, while working as a student nurse, I found one elderly gentleman already dressed and sitting on the bed with a suitcase at his feet who insisted he didn't need my help to leave the hospital. After a chat about rules being rules, he reluctantly let me uh, wheel him to the elevator. And on the way down, I asked him if his wife was meeting him. He said, I don't know, he said. She's still upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here's a great piece of advice that's not in the Bible. It says, give a person a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach a person to use the Internet and they won't bother you for weeks, months, maybe years. I'm going to get rid of some annoying people. Just teach them the internet. It's awesome. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 has a great passage in it regarding gratitude and, and so on. And Beginning in verse 16, I've entitled my message this morning, Living in the Will of God. So many people are, always want to know, well, I, I want to know the will of God. Or I want to find the will of God. I want to understand the will of God, or, you know, I just, I, I, I just want to figure this all out. Well, I want to encourage you to stop worrying about all of that and just start living the will of God. Just live it. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Exercise it. You say, well, Pastor Fred, what is the will of God? Well, I'm going to tell you, actually, Paul's going to tell you here in one second. Beginning of verse 16, he says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's that simple. Then he goes on, he says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is a great passage of scripture for Thanksgiving weekend. I found... Um, 
I found what I would say are eight themes in this little, little piece of scripture. And uh, these are the themes. Uh, John, turn me down a little bit. It just seems too hot. Here are the themes that I found. Joyful, prayerful, thankful, respectful, careful, Godful, readyful. Yeah, I've made these words up. And faithful. The theme that I want to look at today, though, is the, the theme of thankfulness, gratitude. And uh, as I thought about this and prayed and, and the, you know, the Spirit began to give me some insight into this, I discovered two areas. The marks of the ungrateful and the marks of the grateful. Now, there are three things that I want to share with you regarding the issue of, of those that are ungrateful. Ungrateful people don't trust anybody. Ungrateful people are not thankful. And I think what has happened in our society, and if you look at Paul's letter to Timothy, he talks about that. He talks about in the last days, people, one of the things that they're going to become is ungrateful, unthankful. How often do you hear people today, you know, saying thank you for just about anything? It's like we live in, a, in this world that, of entitlement. Everybody feels like you owe, they, they are owed certain things. Well, you know, I'm here to tell you, nobody owes you anything. You know, nobody owes you anything. You're not, you know, every, everything about life is a privilege. The air you breathe, you had nothing to do with that. The fact that your heart is beating, you're not, you're not consciously making that happen. Your ability to walk, your, your ability to function is a privilege that God has granted you, and God in his amazing love even allows the atheist the privilege of air. If, all of the if God decided one day, you know what, I'm done giving free air to all the unbelievers... The funeral homes would go crazy. Can you imagine that? If God decided to just lift his blessing on this planet and said no more air for those that are unbelievers, it, it would be, un, I mean, that would be crazy. I mean, it'd be, that's impossible to imagine. But this idea of trust and gratitude are so powerfully tied together, and I believe, I am so committed and understand, I believe this with all my heart, that God requires only these two things from us as his children, to trust him and to be grateful. Our lives, Lynn and I together, our children, they would have been absolute angels if they would have gone through life trusting us and being thankful. How cool would that have been? Can you imagine that? If, if, if your conversations with your children, and they would always just say, that's a great idea, Dad, sure. I'll be home at, at 11 o'clock for Kurt. You know what? I'll be home at 10.30. I am so thankful that you're letting me go out and do this. I will be home early. You are awesome, Dad. I, I sense a bit of cynicism. <laughs> that doesn't happen in your life, in your families? No, you know what happens? The normal, the ungrateful, the untrusting, here's the number one thing they always want. They want an explanation. 
The ungrateful always are looking for an explanation. And there's a little word that they have developed in their vocabulary, and they're really good at it. And that little word starts with a W, and it sounds like what? What? Why? It's time to eat. Sit down. You have to eat. Why? Because you're going to die if you don't eat. Well, why? <laughs> I have a grandson that's gifted in this area. Ashton, oh, Lord, have mercy. Come on, Ashton, we got to go. Why? Come on, you got to put a coat on. Why? Because it's cold outside. Well, why? So then you, even if I went into the scientific explanation of why it's cold outside, that wouldn't, you know, well, why? Because I said so. Come on. This, this constant desire of explanation, you know, the, the evolutionists, have tried to come up with the why of how we got here. It's in Genesis. Just read it. It's easy. Well, why? Why does this work? And, and you know, to, dis to take everything apart and to, and to argue and to, you know, why, 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 why? You don't need an explanation. You're not smart enough to understand an explanation. Just do it. Just do it. God very seldom, if ever, gave an explanation. Because you see, let me explain something to you. Oh, here comes an explanation. This is awesome. <laughs> when I demand an explanation from a person in authority over me, what I'm asking them to do is to bring me to their level of authority so that I can decide whether they, whether they are intelligent enough or worthy of my cooperation in that situation. It's the height of arrogance. You know? Jim is the uh, higher up in a large organization. Have you ever had a manager or somebody come to you and ask you why? Or, you know, I need you to explain something to me. Next time, just say, you know, you're just not smart enough. I can't do that. <laughs> that ought to go over really well, even though it would be the truth, okay? We need to understand that the ungrateful heart always seeks an explanation because it desires to be elevated to a position equal to the one giving the instruction. You know, whether it's my eight-year-old grandson wanting to come to my level of understanding of life so that he and I can now have an equal discussion about something. Just do it. Man. Number two. It's very similar to this, the first one. The ungrateful seek control. The ungrateful seek control. They want to be in charge. They want control. Have you ever dealt with somebody that's like a control freak? Aren't they just fun to be with? Well, no, I want it done this way. Well, why? That's, see, now the discussion starts. Because I'm in charge. Well, why are you in charge? What makes you so, so much better than me? How come I can't be in control? I want to be in control. Why do you have to be in control? And these, these are discussions that are going on in preschool rooms. That's the problem. 
And you get to high school, and it gets worse. And the millennials now, are, it's all about control and entitlement and explanations. And, you know, they don't, they don't accept authority on, on any level because they feel like they have as much right to be in control and to this, that, and the other thing. And the ungrateful live in this realm of control and explanations and special treatment is the third thing. They want special treatment. I think back to Joseph's brothers. I'm sure when Joseph arrived that day and said, hey, check out my new coat, rest assured the brothers were not going, yay, Joseph got a new coat. That's awesome. We're so happy for you. You're going to die. <laughs> but you see, in the midst of that, they, they did not like the fact that Joseph shared with them information about ultimately someday being that he would be in control. That is an amazing dream. Yeah, if you have a dream like that, you may not want to share that with a lot of people. Let God kind of put that together first. But they wanted, you know, I'm sure they asked, well, why in the world did he get the coat and we got nothing? He's the youngest, he, you know, he's special, he's this, that, and the other thing. And why, you know, and so they took control. And what did they do? They threw him in a pit, ultimately sold him, so on and so forth. Because they were jealous that they did not get that special treatment. And so the ungrateful become, struggle with this issue of jealousy. And they begin to ask questions. Well, why? I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take control of the situation so I will get the special treatment that I deserve. If you struggle in that area, then ask God to help you, forgive you, and set you free. Because the transformation was amazing. Because of Joseph's attitude, and I'm, we'll get to that in a second. I want to talk, I definitely want to spend a lot, much more time on the grateful side because that's the fun side, that's the positive side. But this issue of ingratitude is so dangerous. And it goes clear back to Adam and Eve. Because the devil came along not to, not to empower Adam and Eve, but to move them into the realm of ingratitude. Rather than being thankful for all they had in that garden and rejoicing and celebrating life, the enemy took them to the tree that they were to avoid at all costs, and what happened? He began to explain some things to them. He then offered control to them. He told Eve, God said you'd die. That's not going to happen. God was kidding. Go ahead, try it. Because when you eat of this, you'll know the difference between good and evil, and you'll become just like God. You will then be able to step into the realm of control like God. And then you'll get all the special treatment. What an incredible lie that they bought into. How many people today have fell into the same thing? You deserve to be happy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not at all. What's happy mean? What does it mean to be happy? To have it my way. If it's my way, I'm happy. If it's your way, I'm not happy. I, I deserve to be happy. No, you don't. 
You deserve to be on your way to hell if you didn't accept Christ. That's what you deserve. That's not very happy. But this idea that I deserve to be happy, so everything needs to be revolving around me, and, I, and if you're not going to make me happy, then I want an explanation. And if you'll do what I tell you to do and I'm in control, now I'll be happy. And if you'll give me the special treatment I deserve, then I'll be even happier yet. And that happiness lasts a couple seconds because the drug dealers use this idea all the time. The trafficker, the human traffickers use this concept all the time. Everybody's offering you happiness. Adam and Eve were offered happiness by the enemy. Satan didn't even have that to offer. And as a result, what happens is we live in a world filled with insanity. Gangs. Carjackings, trafficking, drug addiction, pornography, prostitution. It's unbelievable. Because when you move into the realm of the ungrateful, you become nothing but Satan's tool to destroy God's creation. Now that might be a little harsh, but it's just the truth. That's just the truth. I don't be like, don't jump up and go, you can't handle the truth. No, that, never mind. But let's move quickly into the grateful side. That's, where, that's the good side. What, are the, what do grateful people look like? Turn to your name and go, that's me. That's me. Grateful people seek revelation, not explanation. I don't need to understand how salvation works. I accept it as a revelation truth of God. I don't need to understand how electricity works. I just enjoy it. I don't understand how my car works. I just get in it, push the magic button, and take off. You see, I don't need an explanation for everything. I don't need to, to, to live at the, at the level of the engineers that put that car together. I don't care. It works. I'm good. And if it doesn't work, then I find somebody that's got the revelation to fix it. Amen? How complicated is this? I want revelation. I want God to reveal truth to me. I want to know and understand his word. You see, joy, Paul says, be joyful always. Pray continuously and everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Joy is a is is born out of gratitude. Grateful people are happy people. They're joyful people. Because they're not looking for anything other than just to celebrate the midst of their joy. Pastor Harry shared a story years ago, and it's, it's just one of those amazingly crazy stories. They had two kids. The one kid got put in a room filled with brand new toys. And so what did he do? He broke every toy in the room, just took it apart, you know, just busted it all. And then when he was done, started crying and whining and complaining. Another boy they put in a room ankle deep in horse manure. And he's dancing around in there, jumping around, just laughing, celebrating, just excited. And they finally opened the door, what are you doing? His response was, well, all this horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> That's joy. 
That's, that's seeking res- revelation, not looking for an explanation. You see, I believe Joseph understood the power of this because God, put, God kept expanding his boundaries, expanding his world because of gratitude, not because of ungratefulness, not because of asking God, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Why is that going on? In every situation, it seems like he took, he took joy in the journey, even though it was a ridiculous journey. Sold into slavery, started out the head of a household. Again, the enemy comes in, tries to mess that up, Potiphar's wife. Joseph then gets put into a prison. His sphere of influence expands from a household to an entire prison. The Bible tells us that he was elevated to second in command in the prison. The next step, his sphere of influence expands now to an entire nation, all of Egypt. Why? Because he held on to the revelation that was given to him as a young man. The dream was starting to take shape. It just takes a little bit of patience. Stop asking God why. I want you to start asking God, what now? Where now? What now, God? I don't understand this, but so what? What do you want me to do next? Where should I go next? What's in store for me next? I want the next revelation, Father. Give me the next one. Give me the next revelation. Revelation. Number two, the grateful accept boundaries. You see, a control seeker runs around creating boundaries, creating fences and rules and regulation. In God's economy, He moves our boundaries wider and wider the more faithful we become. That little sphere of influence begins to expand. It gets larger and larger. Do you imagine, do you know how depressing it would be if a child, if you send them out to play in the backyard and they go and they run up to the fence and they just stand there going, Get out of my way, fence. Get away from me, fence. I hate fences. I hate fences. I hate restriction. I hate rules. That poor child needs therapy immediately. Just play. You've got a huge yard. Just play. And some of us are like that with God. It's it's insane. Instead of celebrating the life that we have, we run to the fence and we shake it. And we can't, God, why is this fence here? Why can't I go any further? Why am I stuck here? Go play. Just go play. Stop shaking the fence. I'm not moving it. It's there for your safety. You're not smart enough to live life without a fence. Huh? You can try. Sure. Good luck with that. 
Because there are people that have climbed over the fences and found themselves in a mess, a major mess. Talk to any addict. Talk to the prostitute. Talk to all the guys sitting in prison today. They climbed over the fence. Where did they end up? Behind a bigger fence, a thicker fence, and a barbed wire fence, an electric fence. You see, God has established these amazing boundaries for us, and I thank God for those. I praise God for the boundary that he, that he provides for us in marriage. God blessed, Linda and I, I, God blessed us as young people, committed to the idea that sex is something that you save and protect until marriage. It's a boundary God has established. He'd do that just because he thought, hey, let's just really aggravate the heck out of the human race. No! He created that boundary because he understood the power of relationships. He understood the baggage that comes when you mess with that boundary. He understands that. And so boundaries are very valuable to us. And it's interesting, you know, life is all about boundaries. As I was driving here this morning, I discovered, you know, it's amazing. Those little white lines in the highway, those are boundaries. And it's amazing how people, st how even the crazy people stay right inside those boundaries. <laughs> Every once in a while, they'll sneak over, but... And then God grants us these wonderful things called wives that help us stay in those boundaries. Honey, why are you shifting? Why are you so close to that white line? I don't know. Beep. Boundaries. Celebrate them. Accept them. Acknowledge them. Understand why they're there. They're to, they're to help us. They're to keep us safe. They're to protect us. They're not, you know... You know, don't go out there and start beating on the stop sign because it's restricting your travel. I mean, come on. People are crazy. We ought, you know, we want to test the boundaries. You know, I'm going to push the envelope. For what? Why? God is so dedicated to our protection and safety. We look at the Old Testament. And I don't want to read the Old Testament. It's all rules and regulations. No, it's, it's just boundaries. Those are boundaries. That helped Moses deal with a million interesting people. Millions, not million. But you see, Jesus helped his disciples. He, he shared with them boundaries. Paul's letters to the churches deal with the issues of boundaries. Understand the power that lies in a boundary. Accept it. Receive it. Because God's revelation normally encompasses a boundary. And as we live inside that boundary then, and become, we become trusting of God and faithful, what does God do? The boundary expands. The influence becomes greater and more powerful. And the cool thing about it is that the, the third part about being grateful, we begin to accept opportunities to give and to serve. And then it gets exciting. Pastor Merrill gives himself to India. He'll be leaving again in a few weeks. He gives himself to India to minister there, to empower, to teach pastors. Why does he do that? He 
Because when he goes to India, they pay him thousands of dollars to be there. <laughs> oh, no, wait. He pays thousands of dollars to get there. That's what it was. God is looking for those that are filled with gratitude and trust because then he begins to flow blessings through them. Candace ministers to our youth along with others, Haley, Joel, Catherine. And they do that because they get such a huge stipend for doing that. No, get nothing. They get the blessings of dealing with teenagers. Yeah. Dawn and Chris, prison ministry and others, Carrie and different people that are involved in prison ministry. Yeah, they, you know, several times a month they'll go to Pontiac or some other prison. Because when they get there, the prisoners all take up a love offering and give it to them for coming to visit them. Right? That's a lie and you know it. <laughs> they, no, no. This past week was a very interesting week, or last Saturday... Not only there was a men's breakfast, and I had to leave the breakfast for a few minutes. I went and met Tom Kennington over in a parking lot here in Mount Prospect. I have a connection with a gentleman named Stephen Pollitt, who's on the has been a trustee for Mount Prospect. He's part of a of a of an, a ministry kind of thing called Hunger Outreach, and he he called me up earlier this year, and he goes, uh, "It's chicken time again in November. How many you want?" I said, when somebody tells me that, I get really weird. I said, uh, 25 cases. That's 1,000 pounds of chicken. So he said, no problem. All right, we'll see you on the 11th. So I met Tom. Tom showed up. So I gave Tom 24 of those cases. I kept one case to share with a family here in church. And, and so we just loaded that up and he took off and pretty soon I got a phone call. Steve says, wait, I need time to come back. I got eight more cases somebody else is going to take and he can have them. So Tom ended up with uh, 13, almost 1,400 pounds of chicken to give away to share in his community. A couple days later, I get a call again from another organization, actually a, a company in Chicago, and they said, uh, we're giving away turkeys again this year. And I said, oh yeah, I remember. How many do you want? So I thought, well, let's not be greedy. 25. I want 25. Okay, no problem. See you Friday. So this past Friday, I drove into the city. Guess who I met there? Tom Kennington. I was able to give him 20 10-pound turkeys. And then I took five of them because we're really hungry. No. I took five to give away to some other people that I knew. And, and so, and people have been, and many of you have called and I've come to your homes and picked up furniture and items and things to take to Tom, and Tom uses that to bless his ministry. And it's about seeking these opportunities, and those opportunities will seek you when God knows and understands that you're not going to take the blessings of God and mess with them. You know, I didn't take that chicken and, Go park in front of the jewel and say, hey, come here. <laughs> no, I gave that away. Selling that stuff, that'd be insane. 
No, I gave it away because it became an opportunity for me to be grateful, to become an instrument in God's hand, to watch blessing flow. And you know the, the crazy thing is that God then makes provision in such amazing ways in our lives. To accept his revelation, we got to get out of here. To accept his revelation, to accept the boundaries that come with those, and then to begin to seek the opportunities to serve and to give. Joseph held on to that revelation God gave him. As a result, he accepted the boundaries that kept growing as he remained faithful, from household to prison to nation. And what did he do? For seven years, they saved and saved and stored so that when the lean years came, he was able to give and to serve multiplied thousands of people because he remained grateful in the midst of weird, weird situations. Gratitude is a powerful thing. Let me, let me begin to close. That's a pretty funny statement, but anyway. It depends on whose hand it's in. A basketball in my hand is worth about 20 bucks. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hand was worth millions. Depends on whose hand it's in. A baseball in my hand is worth about six bucks. A baseball in Mark McGuire's hand is worth about 19 million. Depends on whose hand it's in. The jawbone of a donkey in my hand is disgusting and unhealthy. The jawbone of a donkey in Samson's hand is a weapon equivalent to that of an entire army. Depends on whose hand it's in. A rod in my hand will keep away a wild animal, but a rod in Moses' hand will part the Red Sea. Depends on whose hand it's in. A slingshot in my hand is a kid's toy. A slingshot in David's hand is a mighty weapon. Depend on, it depends on whose hand it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands, basically a couple of fish sandwiches. Barely. Two fish and five loaves in the hand and of bread in Jesus' hands will feed thousands. Depends on whose hand it's in. Nails in my hands might build a birdhouse. Nails in Jesus' hands produce salvation for an entire world. So you see it depends whose hands it's in. Put your concerns, worries, and fears, hopes, dreams, families, and relationships in God's hands. Because it just depends whose hand it's in. Amen. I want to close with, again, an old hymn that just kind of shares my heart with you today. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. 
How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see, twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Just before we go, 